Welcome back to In Search of Tarot, a podcast that examines, questions, and reimagines our approach to life and the cards. Through guest interviews and in-depth discussions, we'll explore and expand the beautiful complexities of spirituality, philosophy, magic, and more. I'm Nick. And I'm Angie. And we're your hosts for this fascinating ride. Thanks for being here with us. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we are joined by Thomas Withelt of Hermit's Mirror. Thomas is a divination coach, deck creator, Lifeline Tarot, Lifeline Lenoracle, and Seaborn Kipper, and author, Tarot Tableau, The Fool's Journey, Awaken the Cards, and many workbooks. As Thomas of Hermit's Mirror, he helps the spiritually curious use divination to reclaim their present, untangle threads of the past, and weave their future fates. You can learn more about his work at www.hermitsmirror.com and find him online as at Hermit's Mirror. I had a great time chatting with Thomas about his views on the usefulness of working with tarot systems and his new shadow work offering that will be coming out later this year. We also both shared very vulnerably about our relationship to our sexuality and our comfort level, sharing sexual aspects of ourselves on social media and how that's been shifting and changing for both of us as of late. Before we dive into this conversation, I want to invite you to join Angie and I for our very first In Search of Tarot book club, which has just kicked off with this fall's selection, Radical Tarot by Charlie Claire Burgess of The Word Witch. And if you go to the In Search of Tarot Instagram at the link in bio, there is a link to get $5 off your purchase of Radical Tarot. So if you've not yet purchased your book and you want to join the book club, head over to In Search of Tarot on Instagram. For this month of October, we're currently reading the introduction of the book through the chapter on the Hermit, and we will be hosting a Patreon-exclusive book club hang at the end of this month. The exact date and time is yet to be announced, but will be coming soon. So if you want to be part of our discussion, head over to patreon.com slash insearchoftarot and join us and support the show for as little as $2 a month. Thank you so, 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 so much to those of you who already support us there, particularly those of you who have been with us since the beginning. We really would not be able to do the show without you. We would not be able to compensate any of our guests without our Patreon supporters. So thank you so much. All right. Enjoy today's conversation with Thomas Withholt of Hermit's Mirror. So I'm a lot of things. I I enjoy being a lot of things. One of my, um, I did a PhD, well, I did not do a PhD. I started a PhD program. Um, and one of my advisors, who's one of the reasons why I did not finish it, called me a dilettante. Mm. <laughs> and I think, you know, as a child growing up, I was called a Renaissance man. And that was a much nicer <laughs> phrasing of the same thing of someone who's just curious about life, who wants to learn all of the things, who wants to explore and grow and not be sort of too pegged into one thing. It actually makes for really bad business usually, right? <laughs> like you've, you're supposed to find your niche, stick to it um do the do the thing make it perfect whatever that is of zero interest to me i would rather do something like a b grade and then move on to the next thing like okay i've got that it's good it doesn't need to be amazing like what else is waiting for me and that's sort of how i approach life is that it's 
an opportunity for constant personal growth and personal development. And so whether that's fitness or art or writing or tarot reading or professional career or dancing or whatever, right? Like I, I want to do all of the things. I want to enjoy them. I want to learn something from them and then be able to bring that into everything else that I do. And you get to live in the margins, right? Yes, yes. Claim yes, it. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Do you, and I heard you say dance. Do you have a dance background as well? So I did dance, yes, in college. Oh, cool. um, that, that makes it sound like I was a stripper or something. I, that was a possible career choice after <laughs> college. But no, I did, um, I was in musical theater. I did ballet to support the musical theater. Um, and they got really into West African dance and uh, like contact improvisation, like very like visceral bodily <laughs> uh muscular forms of dance that I really enjoyed. Wow, that's awesome. I didn't know that. That's so cool. Like we we share that background both ballet and theater, so that's super cool. Um yeah, I think you're probably a stronger dancer uh than I am and I am very bad with choreography. Like I have poor poor working memory. So <laughs> <laughs> I just have to do things a million times to remember them. <laughs> um well I want to hear, you know, how tarot came into your life. Like, what is your tarot origin story? Yeah, so my tarot origin story really comes from, like, as far back as I can remember. My mom and my sister were very in touch with sort of the mystical side of things. Um, not in, like, an intentional, proactive way for the most part, but my mom read Coffee Grounds. We, um, I was growing up in the Middle East at the time. And that was something that she learned to do from um, some local practitioners. And she was really good at it. And so that sort of like fortune telling thing was in um, the atmosphere. And then my sister happened to have just sort of like psychic insights. Like the most sort of perfect example is she went up to a woman one time and was like, oh, when are you expecting? And the woman herself had, did not even know she was pregnant turned out she was wow. um but like my my sister somehow knew like as a small child mm. and I mean who knows like maybe it was the way that her dress was falling right um but that was very much a possibility and my mom um is a lucid dreamer and she has very active dream life and as I grew up like I started sort of sharing the same dream space as her not like we would be in the same dream at the same time but like I would describe my dreams and she'd be like oh yeah that's the other side of my house that I don't go to like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know and so like there was this sort of un unknown that was very much present um in my life that was in contrast to my father who um is evangelical mm -hmm. um and so like faith and religion and spirituality were part of my life in two very different ways and I came to tarot through accident <laughs> I had seen it being used like I had seen it in popular culture but um my sister she had a deck and when she went off to college I got her room, her bookcase, and her tarot deck that she left behind. Mm -hmm. um, so I just started playing with it. And I was really drawn to the pictures. They made a lot of sense to me. I'm a visual artist. Um, and so responded really well to that and just sort of what I was able to get out of them. And then, you know, I, I played with witchcraft and Wicca and all of those like late 90s pop culture, new age spirituality. Uh, before sort of finding my own version of tarot um, and really starting to define it for myself. Because your mom was sort of doing divination when you were younger, did that um, 
kind of push you away from it or draw you more towards it? Because I feel like sometimes what our parents do, we kind of don't want to do, or sometimes we do. So like, how is that for you? Yeah. So my parents were divorced. So it was easy to find the, like, I don't want to do this one. I do want to do this one because mm-hmm, <laughs> they mm-hmm. were divided. Um, so I was very into the idea of being able to see things right in a, in a cup of coffee grounds. Um, I would often look at clouds right? Aromancy and see like, what do I see in the cloud? And like, actually, that's a really good childhood practice of um, scrying and gazing and and finding symbols where you might not otherwise see them. Mm-hmm. And so that, that part, like I loved the magic of it. I was super into fantasy and like, you know, Japanese role-playing games and stuff like that. And so that sort of drew me to, um, you know, not to sort of support that right-wing claim but that did draw me to wicca Um, (laughs) and like green magic and herbalism and that sort of stuff which then it was like a sort of shimmy over to tarot and um yeah i was i i was definitely drawn to sort of what she was doing and i practiced it right i would try to find different symbols or i would say like oh yeah i see this thing in the grounds my mom would sort of show me what she was seeing which you know, it was sort of felt like what I was supposed to see. Mm-hmm, <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. making air quotes, not that anyone else could see them. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, like it was, it was overly formulaic for me, the way that my mom was teaching me or had learned it, I think. Um, and so I just never, again, the whole memory thing, like it just wasn't clicking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so once I was able to sort of get into the more intuitive abstract scrying and gazing world of saying like we're going to see different things that's okay um just what is our intuition drawing us to then i got more into it yeah well speaking of that um i'm curious when you started to get again air quotes quote unquote serious about tarot and started to really try to sort of learn how to work with it um what was your path for that um like what was your what, what was the system that you learned on if you learned on one and and how did you kind of first start to actually kind of learn tarot so you know so I picked up my sister's deck when I was 14 so that's 1996 going mm-hmm. way back um and that was a rider weight and um I learned sort of from the little white book from what's essentially little white books that you would find in witchcraft books. Um, And I really tried, like I had this, like these three pieces of paper that I had printed out and folded up and stuffed in that deck. And I, I mean, I kept those three pieces of paper for probably 10, 15 years Mm -hmm. and I would pull them out and refer to them. um, And they, you know, it, I didn't get serious about my own study until I, finally threw that deck and the paper away because I was so tied to trying to figure out like, how is this, like, what am I supposed to be getting out of these three words? Like, I'm not, I'm not seeing meaning here. Mm -hmm. Um, And so even though I was practicing on and off, like as I wanted guidance, as my friends wanted like a fun, you know, spooky thing. Mm -hmm. um, And I would go back and see like, okay, this thing happened, this other thing happened, but I wasn't really diligent about it until probably like eight years ago. Um, So that's almost 20, no, that's like 18 or 19 years into like having started Mm -hmm. uh, again on and off. Um, 
and then as far as my my journey it was really about sort of like personally journaling with each of the cards redrawing all of them I think is an incredible and this was a still on um Pamela Coleman Smith's illustrations um I think redrawing them is like an incredible exercise for people, even if you have no artistic skill, just like stick figures. And what are the five symbols that you're going to choose to redraw in your little 60 second sketch? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and just recognizing in large part, actually, thanks to social media, like there are different ways of reading and it's not just the one that you're given uh, when you pick up a deck, you know, and decks, I mean, there are a million more decks than, there were when uh, I was growing up. So certainly there are more guidebooks, there are more voices that are just readily apparent, but I think reading more, right? Like T. Susan Chang, Benabel Wen, Mary Kay Greer, um, Rachel Pollock, all of those folks have such brilliant um, insights and they're not all the same. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And um, trying to like reconcile those ideas with what you yourself are getting as you take a more personal approach to the cards. And that's the thing that I think is missing a lot for people is when they try to learn either from a book, from a website, even from a class. Um, I think too often either they aren't explicitly invited to think about what the card means for themselves or how they're seeing it or they don't feel empowered to do so, even if they are invited, like they don't feel like they're good enough yet. And that's really the way that you are going to learn these cards, unless, you know, you're just a natural psychic and then you don't even need the cards. Right. Yeah. I, I also think that, that people, um, you know, I talk about this a lot that people don't um, explain where those three words came from, you know, like who, who it was that made those up and the context within which they did make them up, you know, and, and, um, and I, I don't know if that's because people feel like talking about the history makes it less magical or, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know why that is, but there, there, I feel like there's not enough, um, uh, transparency, you know, about that. And to me, like giving transparency to that empowers individuals to make their own thing up because these people also made this up, you know, and, and, you know, it's, it's fine, obviously, to notice patterns or to notice um, commonalities, you know, because I've talked to people on the podcast before where we've kind of discussed this and, you know, we'll say, you know, but I do notice that even, even when we start from scratch, like there's certain themes that still emerge and that's like, great, you know, that's great data to kind of have, but um, I think just if I, I always wish that someone when I started had explained a little bit more about like where this was coming from, you know, so that I could sort of decide if I wanted to get on that train or not, you know. Yeah, I think, you know, it is a it's it can be challenging to navigate, right? That desire for freedom, for not being sort of trapped in someone else's system, while at the same time needing a language with which to speak like the words that you and i are saying they're arbitrary right someone Mm -hmm. came up with them we all Mm -hmm. agreed they meant what they meant and some people don't agree with that and it's hard to communicate with those people right Right. and so that's the same sort of thing if we want to have a community like if we want to be able to communicate there are tools in place to help us do that but if they can't properly articulate what we're experiencing or what we're feeling 
or the messages that we're receiving, then we need to go outside of that sort of prescripted formula of what mm -hmm. things mean. And there, so for me, I always, you know, I think keywords can be really valuable, but I think they are one layer of many layers for interpreting. And as a result, they're one, I like to think of tarot as a language and as each of the, the different layers of interpretation as um, part of your vocabulary. So if you, like I'm a very structural teacher, right? So I, I teach the elements. If you want to use them, use them. If you don't want to use them, don't use them. Like, I don't care. It's your practice, right? <laughs> I'm not going to be offended if you do something different, right? The numerology, the, the astrology, the, um, the implement class-based system of the minor arcana, like all of that stuff can be useful if it works for you and you're able to remember it and you're able to get insight from it. I think definitely we should question whether it's appropriate to characterize entire continents of people based on associations we have with certain suits. That said, right, like um, that's like one data point that may in fact be useful for you if you're doing a geographically based reading and your intuition or your higher guides or your subconscious wants you to remember that thing or to be thinking about geography or um, astrology or the numerological significance. If you know that thing, then your intuition can point it out to you. If you don't know that thing, your intuition is just sort of like flailing wildly, mm -hmm. right? And so I'm a big fan of teaching the different layers, not because I think they're better, but I think that they provide a vocabulary to create greater precision, which I think a lot of people need. I think most people do not feel super confident in just like receiving divine messages and saying, okay, sure, like, let's go with that. And so this sort of gives them um, baby steps to getting there. I would love to hear for you what it was like being queer and working with tarot. Um, and if tarot helped you discover that aspect of yourself in any way, and also with these systems um, that to me have sort of lacked some sort of queer options <laughs> in the mix. Um, and even just the fact that there have been certain cards that are thought of as being queer, whereas a large percentage, you know, sort of haven't been just like how that's been for you over the years and how you kind of have maybe played with that, how you teach that now, how you work with the cards now in that way, just anything along those lines. I actually found a real struggle for myself in what seemed like a paradox with witchcraft, actually, where it seemed like something that was so anti-patriarchal, anti-sort of Christian supremacy, like this is, you know, the two by two world. Mm -hmm. And yet it was so, it seemed in the language so heterosexist mm -hmm. <laughs> of being able to say like, okay, the God and the goddess and the male and the female energies and that binary, which if you talk to progressive witches, they will explain like, that's just the language. Like it's, it's not necessarily the meaning, right? It's just how we have articulated this thing. And Structural linguists will say, well, of course, that then structures your world. Um, but I think that there is, um, I think there is a benefit to sort of reading on spectrums or reading spectrums within binaries, right? That helps us understand like 
through the process of individuation. Like this is the thing and this is the not thing. And there's a lot of gray in between those two places in reality. But if I'm trying to work with a limited set of information, like it's useful to know sort of which end of the spectrum I'm closer to, um, which is to say, you know, like I, my views on the binary language and imagery of all, most, let's say most tarot decks has certainly changed. I don't know that tarot helped me recognize my own queerness. Um, certainly I was experiencing both simultaneously in my teens. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think if anything, I was more confused by, you know, what I was seeing as sort of like heterosexist language within esoteric communities. And then I had to like, you know, dig deeper or get to talk to these people who knew what they were talking about and not just um, dabbling as I was mm -hmm. to see like, oh no, it's not as black and white. That's just the problem of ritual and, you know, repeated sayings and not questioning our language. Um, as far as the tarot itself, you know, I love decks like Fifth Spirit Tarot that sort of queer um, the traditional imagery without necessarily changing um, all of the words, right? Mm -hmm. um, because I, I do think, again, structures are helpful for offering a foundation of meaning from which you can then shift. I will say that I, for a long time, I've wanted to create a tarot deck that talks about the court cards solely in terms of element, which, you know, Western elements have traditional gender associations anyway. Um, and those map on with the tarot elemental associations, but, you know, you can set those aside if you want and just say like water is water. It's not femininity. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and I think that would be, that would get at sort of the, the issue of masculine and feminine energies, right? Where it's like the queens are queens. They do certain things, but they are, and those things are historically associated more with women than with men, not exclusively, certainly. Um, but if we talk about them in terms of water, let's say, right? Like um, being very in tune with emotions, being concerned for well-being, nourishing, right? Like water is the only thing that we actually consume out of the suits mm -hmm. or out of the elements, um, right? Like that kind of supportive, but also like a little bit bad with boundaries. <laughs> like that energy is very much um, in terms of, you know, that fits with the queens, but it doesn't have to express itself as a royal figure with a gender. And I think both of those things can be really challenging for some people and I'm all about if it doesn't work for you, like let's change it so that it does work yeah. for you. And maybe it's remapping, maybe it's rethinking. Yeah. Well, I think what I'm realizing is I'm listening to you talk about, you know, because I, I mean, I am always questioning systems, but I agree that they, I understand like why they're useful in the way that you're saying. But what I'm kind of realizing, like, you know, with the sort of the court cards, for instance, you know, such a big component of that system of that sort of Rider Waite Smith system is the mapping of gender onto that card. Because, you know, when you just now said water fits for the queens, 
you know, in my head, I was kind of like, well, well, why does water fit for the Queens? It must, it, there has to be something that makes it fit, you know, like, and that seems to be that layer. So it's, it's, it's hard to take it out um, because it's doing something very specific within that system, you know, like, and I'd be curious, I would be very curious, like how, how you might, you know, go about that, but you, you know, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think um, it's interesting because I actually disagree with some very brilliant um, tarot people about the elemental mappings for knight and king. I think there are, you know, even when we say something like elements, there are different things that you might be highlighting historically or symbolically. So for example, um, many tarot readers who care about these sorts of things will consider the kings of the weight system to be fire because fire is the first element in the tetragrammaton. It gives birth to you know, the, the sun, which is air. For me, that makes no sense because fire does things and the king doesn't do anything. The king tells other people to do things, which is air, right? <laughs> and so the knight should be fire because fire gets shit done. And the knights will actually do the work. And so I think like how we're choosing, which symbols, which metaphors we're choosing to use um, will skew even something as seemingly like um, outside of a, a particular system as elements, right? And so for me, I think about like, what does fire mean to me as I experience it, not within this esoteric appropriative Kabbalah that mm -hmm. is still interesting to think about, like maybe there are things I can take from it, but that's not the thing for me. I don't care that much about it. And so I'm not gonna use it. And I strongly encourage other people to do so, but to think like, how does this make sense to me? For me, fire is exciting, it's energizing, and it 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 feels like it can do things in the same way that earth can, mm -hmm. in a way that air and water just function differently. And so as a result, like I I see no problem with air and water being the things that are ruling us, right? Like our emotions, our thoughts, those are the things that sort of get us to go. Um, and then fire is the energy to do it. And earth is like the actual action of um, bringing it into reality. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, and I think there's a lot of value in seeing it the other way. If you, if you want to bring in those other systems or certainly along history of doing that, but, you know, you sort of have to pick and choose which systems and symbols and metaphors make sense to you. And if they don't, you know, you have to question them and either decide like, okay, whatever, I'm just going to use it, or I'm not going to use any of it, or I'm going to remap it for my own benefit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You were talking earlier about um, creating decks and that's something that you lately have started to do quite a bit of. Um, and I was curious, like if that was something you kind of always knew was going to happen or if it surprised you when you started to do that um, and how that has maybe changed your approach and your practice. For sure. I think there's no better way of getting to understand what you think about a tarot card than having to choose how to create it or Oracle card or whatever. Um, if you're creating a deck for public consumption, there are a lot of things that you need to consider that 
may have nothing to do with your individual practice or what you would choose for a deck that you just print out for yourself. Um, but, you know, as I, as I think about decks that I might want to create, I think about what am I doing that's new? What am I doing that's different? What do I want to explore that I don't feel like is fully covered elsewhere? Um, mm -hmm. And that I think invites a lot of richness for personalization of your practice, right? So it could be regendering or queering or, um, you know, reimagining the suits or renaming the major arcana, right? Like all of those things where you feel like, oh, d you know, the tower really doesn't do it for me. Like I don't, it's so dramatic. It's so whatever. Maybe I'm going to go with like a forest fire because I understand the pros and cons of that, you know, the many cons, but some of the natural pros as well, that feels much more true to the, the dual nature of the tower, right? Um, some people sort of go <laughs> super extreme and they get rid of all of the bad stuff, mm -hmm. um, right? Which I don't love because we need the bad with the good. Um, but I, you know, it does allow you to think about what's missing and what you want to include. And I think if you're not making a deck for public consumption and public critique, mm -hmm. uh, you can be a lot more true to yourself in your practice without worrying about like how it's going to be received by other people. Yeah. I, you, your deck, um, lifeline Lenoracle is so beautiful and, and has this theme of like this one line that the image is made, you know, from one line, where, where did that come from a, and also, um, how, like, what is a Lenoracle? How would you describe what a Lenoracle deck is? Yeah. So the Lenoracle came after the lifeline tarot, which is the single line version of the Rider Waite Smith, um, deck. And so it was building off of, um, that aesthetic, um, different aesthetic as it turns out. Uh, and I sort of explained that as it's more Victorian and intentionally Victorian and less um, less uh, open to scrying and intuitive abstractions in the way that tarot is. So that's the sort of roundabout way of saying it came from a desire for, to create something that I could use personally um, for a court card class that I was going to be teaching where I didn't have to rely on someone else's copyrighted deck for my course materials mm -hmm. um and then uh some i showed some of the pictures and people were like oh you should just make a whole deck of this um so then i i did a whole deck of single line art based on the writer wade smith um and then i knew i had wanted because i i was sort of like obsessed with the concept once i had done it um because it allows for you to see things that you wouldn't otherwise see like if you see a complete picture you just process what's in the picture and it's hard to see what's not in the picture. I mean, certainly we all do it, right? We'll see something that isn't really there, but it feels like the wrong thing to do unless you are in touch with your intuition and with the genius of scrying. Um, and so having something that's kind of a mess to look at <laughs> where you're like, okay, there's some things that are missing. Like I have to fill in the pieces here. And that's really intentional with the minor arcana. Um, and so like, what would you fill in or what do you notice that is there? Or, you know, what you're actually looking at is just a, a jumble of string, 
essentially. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you see in this jumble of string, regardless of what we call this card? That's a like an extra layer um, of divination that you can be doing beyond sort of tarot, right? So it's like a, a tarot and a scrying tool in one. So then with the Lenoracle, um, I wanted to create a Lenormand deck and I wanted to create an Oracle deck. And for purely financial reasons, I decided why not combine them? Like a 36 card deck costs almost as much to make as a 60 card deck, um, just in realistic like sheets of paper, um, how decks are made, how those costs are determined. There's not a huge difference actually in, um, in that cost. Um, and so I figured like, oh, well, I could just give people a 54 card deck instead of a 36 card deck if I combine them. And so in order to do that, I used the structure of playing cards so if you're familiar with Lenormand, each of the cards is associated with one of the playing cards. It's usually either not referenced at all, or it's a little inset um, on the card itself. And they, um, they go from the sixes through the kings and aces. So the twos through fives are just essentially cut out. That's how you get to 36 cards. So I said, all right, let's bring in the twos through fives, use that to sort of fill in the missing pieces, create an expanded Lenormand, um, and then also um, offer up this Oracle, uh, more abstract sort of high concept view of each of these cards that you might choose to use differently. Um, I'm not sure how familiar you are with Lenormand. I'm, I'm really not, not, okay. not much, yeah. So it tends to, people tend to view it as a more fortune tellery, predictive, like boots on the ground. It's probably a problematic term now that I think about it, <laughs> uh, right? Like lived experience, right? Like mm -hmm. health, wealth, um, love, right? Mm -hmm. Like those sorts of things. And so the cards really speak to that. You can sort of extrapolate and get to like astrology and belief and all of these, you know, faith and world peace. But like, that's not really what it's meant for. And so something that's more like a high concept oracle um, could just add another layer, right? You could take the same concept. So the snake card, for example, it's often tied to betrayal or manipulation. Like someone who's very clever, but probably doesn't have your best interests at heart. They're a little bit um, sort of like too clever for their own good and you're gonna suffer as a result. Mm -hmm. uh, it tends to be highly misogynistic because it's associated with the queen of clubs. So it tends to be like a smart, but slightly evil woman. Mm -hmm. um, if you want to go super traditional. Mm -hmm. uh, but for me, I thought like, okay, what's the sort of neutral version of that? And for me, it became manipulation, not in the sense of solely manipulating other people, but of working with what you have and change, like twisting it. So the other thing with the snake is that can also represent things that are twisted and knotted and just sort of like windy. Um, and um, right, so that idea of man uh, manipulation could be the things that you would normally associate with the snake, but also things like manifestation, right? Or magic, where you are trying to change the things that you have and sort of twist them to your own desires, mm -hmm. um, you know, hopefully in an ethical way, but not necessarily. And so uh, that's an example of how 
I would have gone from a sort of standard Lenormand card to sort of what I mean by high concept. And then of course the twos through fives I had to create from nothing. So I just pulled on Victorian imagery since that's the era, um, things that would sort of fit within the other 36 emblems. Um, but then I, I brought in structure and I said, what's the pattern that all of the clubs share? What's the pattern that all of the spades share? Something that is not usually brought into Lenormand because um, the Lenormand and traditional playing card meanings are actually pretty divergent. Like spades and for most playing card readers are really bad. There aren't a lot of bad Lenormand cards associated with the spades. And so there's a little bit of a disconnect when you put them so intently together mm -hmm. um, but it allowed me a, a way of making decisions of saying like okay here's the structure like all of the spades have to do with status or how the outside world sees you so let me make sure that these two through five um, are brought into that and then there were some other things like the dog is ten of hearts so the two of spades since heart and spade are opposite has to be a cat right like mm -hmm. there's a there's an anchor and a ship within the same suit so the the suit with the house which is hearts is going to have a window because that's part of a house right like that's sort of thematic going together as well um and then just um things that were important to my own practice like thread for sort of threads of fate a mirror for reflection a lamp for guidance i made sure that those symbols were part of it as well um and you know i didn't explicitly say but you can divine with it as playing cards, since it is a complete playing card deck, including jokers. Um, and for those who are interested in the queerness of it, there are um, four alternative significators that are all a little bit um, ambiguous. So you can sort of mix and match with whatever you want or have, you know, a poly situation, also an option. Yeah, it's it's so cool. It's a really beautiful deck. Um, if, if anyone listening has not looked at it, you definitely should. It's it's really beautiful. Um, so I want to kind of shift gears and talk about um, a topic that both of us were really excited to discuss when we were sort of talking about doing this episode, which is um, along the lines of being queer is sort of sexuality and spirituality and navigating the sharing of that when you are a, you know, teacher of tarot or any kind of like spiritual kind of teacher or leader. Um, and it's something that has really been on my mind. And then it also turned out that it has been on your mind as well. Um, yeah. And, and I, I, I guess, you know, I'll start by sort of just sharing that I feel like in the last maybe six months or so, I just started to really feel this like resistance about, so I have like a personal Instagram account as well as my In Search of Tarot account. And I just would, was noticing that like there were certain parts of myself, particularly like the more sexual parts of myself that I would only share on my private account and that I would not not share on my tarot account. And I was just like, why am I doing this? Like, this is so weird, like in both directions. Like I'm not, I'm not showing my full self in either of these worlds, you know, but, but really particularly in the tarot world, because tarot is supposed to be talking about life and and kind of looking at all of ourselves and helping us to get to know ourselves and certainly when i read tarot for myself or for other people i definitely am talking about sexuality as much as you know anything else 
so like why did I feel this need to kind of like you know delineate those things and and along those lines the other thing that I've been thinking a lot about is um the way that being queer you know a lot of times people that are homophobic or not comfortable with queerness will sort of say, you know, well, it's fine. It's fine that you're gay, but just don't shove it in my face. Like I'm tired of gay people shoving it in my face. And I was thinking about this the other day and I was like, straightness is constantly shoved in our face. I mean, like everything about the world we live in is somehow tying back to like a heteronormativity, you know, like, like so much of it, you know? And so, yeah, maybe it's not like overtly in our face, but it is like, covertly there all the time you know and so it just made me want even more to like really bring that out out to show the world and to like be proud in that and to let that be part of my work in tarot as well um but I would love to hear like like any thoughts you have about any of that yeah I mean I think part of it is from you know like puritanical upbringing right like Mm -hmm. oh you don't we don't address sex like sex in movies is going to get a higher rating than like a massacre. Right. And that's part of our culture that that is seems more taboo. I think realistically for something like our social media platforms, it's going to get flagged more often certain keywords. And so it's going to be um, hidden more often from people or downgraded or whatever, Mm -hmm. which I think, you know, those are all cop-outs, right, <laughs> of not wanting to be vulnerable um, and of not being sure of sort of professional ethical guidelines. So I think, you know, I think that these ideas are changing, but I, you know, I think for a lot of people who are professional tarot readers or professional spiritual practitioners, right, in the spiritual industry, the issue of sexuality feels very personal um, and it can feel sort of like exploitative um, to bring it in if, you know, I mean, you know, I'll post a thirst trap. I don't mind. (laughs) If it gets more engagement, great. Uh, That's not why I'm sharing it, but it doesn't hurt. Um, And, you know, I think for me, it's about just recognizing like, Honestly, I, I spend a, a large portion of my day thirsty, so I don't know why I would <laughs> I would just hide that fact because at some point it's going to come out, and if like I don't decide for myself, like either I'm just going to always be in the closet about it, essentially, um, and we know what that feels like most mm-hmm. of us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it just sort of feels like it's looming, waiting to like make a mess of things. So why don't I just own it and decide when I want to share it, when I don't want to share it. Mm-hmm. And I think it, you know, one of the reasons why I've been thinking about how do I bring this, you know, sexuality exercise, all of these things that I feel like have a certain niche within social media, uh, right, um, that may feel like a different niche from tarot and spiritual work, right? Like it just, it has a different. I don't know. I feel like it puts me in like a different state of mind. Mm. Um, But at the same time, I think a lot of people in the spiritual community are completely detached from their bodies or from the fact that they're human beings with certain biological impulses, with 
certain um, desires, needs, you know, like malfunctions, whatever, right? And so if we can be more grounded, <laughs> I think we can be better at being spiritual and real. Um, you know, I think there are a lot of other things, like if you're doing energy work, you need to be exercising and fueling your body properly. And if you're doing shadow work, you need to understand, right, all aspects of yourself and um, all of that good stuff that would suggest, like, we should be tapping more into it. But I think that there is a real resistance, you know, because it can be misused, right, like the idea of sex cells. Um, it we can be doing it for the wrong reasons. There's certainly a, a long history of uh, cult leaders who start spiritual and end up as sort of like sex gods or whatever and abuse people. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just think that there's a lot of fear around that, but it, certainly if we can normalize it, if we can more importantly contextualize it, right? Like, why am I doing this thing? Like, what does this have to do with me as a person? What does this have to do with me as a spiritual practitioner? What does this have to do with me as a coach um, or whatever your role is? Like, I think that that's, that's the thing that we need to figure out so that it doesn't feel exploitative, so that it doesn't feel like it could be off-putting to people. I mean, I think that's the real reason why we resist, right? Like we don't want to lose, you know, we don't want someone who's, um, uncomfortable with human bodies to suddenly be like oh my god what is this account like i'm out when mm -hmm. we you know we have this idea that like oh no we could help them do whatever we think we can help them to do and i know i personally tend to try to <laughs> try to emotion manage everybody in mm. my world and so like i need to not do that right if they don't want to see a body and i want to show a body like there are other tarot readers and coaches who will help them get the information they need. And we're not at the, like, we're no longer at a, a compatible place. If I feel like I have to hide this aspect of myself that is important and not just, you know, something I want to do to like rage bait or whatever. Yeah. I mean, for me, like it really has been a feeling of, of uh, deepening into like pride in in who I am like in in my queerness like because I think like you were talking about earlier with like Wicca and, and witchcraft you know so much of that is like you said god goddess you know and it's just like baked in like like in the car in tarot too you know just like um the the sexuality is implied and baked in and so like I find myself you know like there are ways that straight people I feel can express those sides of themselves through the spirituality that is more readily available than queer people. And so it makes me want to find that and, and put that out more and just notice the times in myself when I hesitate to, and why I might be hesitating, you know, why, why something that I would absolutely put on my personal Instagram and I'm not I don't even talking about like like thirst traps which that's that's great too I'm just talking about more just like like if I think someone's hot and I like repost that or like or just an article about gay people or whatever it is you know like like why am I shuffling that over into this separate world 
um, when I feel like those stories are so pervasive for straight people in the spiritual world already, you know, like, um, so that for me, like, that's where it's been coming from lately has been just like, I just don't want to be in the closet. Like you said, I don't want to be in the closet in any aspect of my life. And I just want to be really loud and proud in a time when it's getting harder and harder and scarier to do that. You know, like it feels more important now to, to be like, yes, I'm queer. I'm gay. I have sex. It's in your face. Like, I don't care if you don't like it, please move on to the next account. Like, I just feel like it needs to be, you know, out there right now, you know? I had, um, <laughs> you know, you said, oh, just these other things that are personal that, you know, and, uh, that doesn't even have to be, the sexual or right. the queer or the whatever, but just the like, I am a real human being. <laughs> yes. These things happen to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for a lot of us who are very image conscious, right? Like it can feel distracting. It can feel like, oh, this doesn't really meet my target audience. This doesn't, you know, this doesn't fit with my brand or whatever those sorts of personal vulnerabilities or like, I don't want to reveal where I live because then, you know, someone may dox me. Or right. Something. Yeah. Um, right. right. Like, you know, and those things are real. I'm not minimizing those. Um, but like there is, I think for a lot of people, there's a real fear of being a real person in a way that isn't just like, Oh, look, I'm showing up on camera without makeup on. Right. Like there's that sort of, like unfiltered realness and then there's the like oh yeah I thought this joke was funny and it's stupid or like I like this dumb movie but Mm -hmm. it has nothing to do with anything but I'm gonna share it because I'm enjoying it and I I want to make sure you know that I actually enjoy my life and I'm not just constantly working and that's I think that can be really hard for a certain type of us me (laughs) certainly (laughs) uh to get out of that habit of sort of self-curating of wanting to, you know, be consistent and focused and not just sort of, you know, to seem like a real business, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. I, I think that those lines are getting a little bit more blurred. And so it feels safer to do that, you know, but every now and again, um, I'll see something and I'll think like, is this a business I want to support <laughs> or is this a like professional who I think like has their life together enough for me to actually want to like pay attention to what they're saying and that is you know it, like I was saying we're all people we all have those moments um and hopefully people are forgiving if they <laughs> see something that seems a little bit off but otherwise someone is you know got their shit together um but I do think that that for me at least, I know that comes into play. And I imagine for a lot of us who, especially queer people, right, who've had to self-censor a lot, we just are in that habit um, of saying like, oh, is this is this going to get me in trouble? Mm-hmm. Am I going to lose friends because of they know this thing about me, right? There's this sort of built-in safety mechanism for us that we may not even consciously like realize that we're doing, Um Mm-hmm. and yet is just so embedded in every choice that we make. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think you had mentioned that you have an offering 
kind of maybe in the works uh, around this topic. Can you share a little bit about that coming up? Yeah, so um, I love shadow work, getting into the <laughs> into the weeds of things, what's going on with someone that maybe they don't necessarily want to see. So I'm, this is still, this is not yet formed, um, but I'm excited to sort of bring it in as part of the shadow coaching that I do, um, is like sexual fantasy and figuring out like, okay, what can we, you know, I mean, a psychotherapist is going <laughs> to analyze your <laughs> fantasies as well, um, but within the context of like playing with tarot sort of along the way like you know what would what's the knight of pentacles like what did they get off to um and thinking for yourself like okay if knight of pentacles is a significant significator <laughs> to you or astrologically important or whatever right like how do we um what might be fun to play with and making it allowing it to to feel um, recognizable, but not necessarily personal enough that it, it becomes uncomfortable. It's like, who is this person who's, you know, all of a sudden I'm in sex therapy, like that's not what I signed up for. Um, but if we're sort of playing with these figures of the tarot, then, you know, you can have a little bit of that safety mechanism or that safety, that barrier, um, mm -hmm. buffer, that's the word. Um, you can have a little bit of that buffer between sort of recognizing like this is me and this is something that exists alongside of me, maybe it's inside of me, maybe it's not, maybe it, it's metaphorical for something else, who knows. Um, but that's something that, yeah, I'm excited to explore. So this fall, I'm planning to talk about sort of getting in touch with all of the court cards. So I, I have this book, I have this class called Awaken the Court Cards about tapping into your the 16 personas, as I call them, because they don't necessarily have to be part of the court, right? Mm -hmm. um, within you that represents just different ways of being, moving through the world, but thinking about them in really lived um, fun <laughs> terms. So, well, not everyone will consider these fun, but like, so cocktails that I would associate with them, food that I would associate with them, exercise, that's one that not everyone's going to find fun. I enjoy <laughs> it. Um, and then sexual fantasies that I would associate with them, just so that you can see partly for tarot readers to see like, oh yeah, these are real, these represent real people or parts of real people. Mm -hmm. um, and then for people who want to get more into like the tarot magic side of things, like, oh, if I want to tap into that energy, let me try this thing. Right. Or what does it reveal to me about my relationship with this court card that I, you know, I'm into the same thing as them. Yeah. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's still, it, I'm fleshing it out still. Yeah, no, I love it. I, I, it's, it's great. It's awesome. And it's a different way. Like I, I have never experimented with working with the cards in that way, but I can see also, like you were saying, how having that a little bit of distance, you know, makes you feel kind of safer to be like, well, maybe I do kind of like that or, you know, like, um, and even just to see it and even feel yourself liking it and like it, kind of experiment with that, you know? So uh, yeah, I, I think that's awesome. Um, you know, and, and we didn't even really get to dive into much of your teaching at all, but for anyone who's listening, Thomas is such a prolific teacher um and and beloved teacher like any anyone i've taught has always been a fan of your teaching as well and 
Um, so please, you know, go explore the the wealth of knowledge and the wealth of offerings that that you have. Um, but before we um, get into my final question, along those lines, I would love for you to share with people where they can find you and follow you. Um, you shared about that offering that you just were talking about, but if there's any other offerings that you want to talk about, um, how to buy your decks. I mean, there's so much to choose from. So anything you want to share, <laughs> just go for it. Yeah. So um, the best place to find me is hermitsmirror.com. That's my website, hermitsmirror, all one word. That's also my Instagram, threads, TikTok. Um, not that I'm very active on TikTok, um, but all of the things are just Hermit's Mirror. Yeah, as far as what I have going on now, we just started my fall semester of classes. So it's a new model that I'm offering where there are seminars, there are office hours for like unstructured learning and discussion and chat. Um, and then there are four classes that each have five sessions. And those are on alternating days or alternating weeks. Um, one's in the middle of the day on Tuesday, one's in the evenings on Wednesday. By the time anyone is listening to this, the first session of um, all of those will have passed. There are recordings, but you know you would need to catch up. So that may not be ideal, but in the January, I'll start the spring semester and it will be the same kind of thing. You can certainly join late, but um, you know, unless you wanna like immediately watch that recording, uh, <laughs> you're gonna be behind. Um, so those are, Teaching in the winter, I'll do, um, I'll probably, like 95% sure I'll do my reading the river of time, which is on past life, ancestral inner child readings. Um, and then, yeah, my decks are on my website. Um, I have the Lifeline Tarot, the Lifeline Lenoracle, which we talked about. And then um, I have a deck with Eric Maley of the Endless Oracle and Inguitch Tarot. And Michael of Diviner Life, um, we're doing a deck together that will kickstart um, in the spring equinox, hopefully. So, wow, oh my gosh, incredible! Yeah, a lot and of stuff. So, yeah. So, my final question that I like to ask everyone these days is, what are you, Thomas, in search of right now in your life? I am in search of creative expression. So, I mentioned. <laughs> I am a visual artist. I do not spend much time doing visual art. Most of my creativity is photographs for Instagram or layout design for guidebooks or, you know, any number of things that are still creative expressions, but are not like drawing and painting and the things that I trained many years to do mm. um, that I just really, really miss. Creative writing, like all of those things that I just have put on the back burner and, you know, I feel like I am, I had this sort of visual um, pop in when you asked that of like, I'm creating the trellis so that the, the you know, the vines can grow. I'm just, I'm just in search of, you know, time to plant and water those vines. The, tre the trellis is there. Yeah. <laughs> now we need, now we need the, the stuff to make it beautiful. Yeah. Sounds very emperor empress to me. Yeah, that. exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for this conversation, Thomas. I, I really appreciated talking to you. Yes, you as well, Nick. Thank you so much for having me. 
In Search of Tarot is independently written, recorded, edited, and transcribed by Nick Kepley and Angie Miller. You can follow Angie on Instagram at birdgirl underscore, that's B-I-R-D-G-E-R-H-L underscore. And you can follow me, Nick, on Instagram at In Search of Tarot. Have a question or a comment? Email us at isotpod at gmail.com. We also invite you to leave us a rating and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts.